Praise the Lord for the hope that He brings. And uh, this morning, we, as we begin, we look at, uh, as we have looked the last couple of weeks, at how hope came and how God had promised that hope in the days ahead, in the years and centuries before. And God had promised a miraculous virgin birth. God had promised uh, His Son would put on human flesh and would come uh, and would be in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin making Him the only worthy, the only acceptable sacrifice to pay the debt of the sin that man owed to, see, to satisfy God's judgment. We uh, examined and saw that that promise was prophetic in nature. God did not create and make this miracle and then say, hey, look at the miracle that I did hundreds of years before in over 300 specific prophecies of the Old Testament. Uh, God foretold the coming of his son. God told of his uh, birth and how it would be. And, uh, and uh, as it was fulfilled, we saw the power uh, of that hope and that power of uh, what Jesus could accomplish in our lives and what what impact he could make on the world. We saw that that uh, promise was not only prophetic and powerful, but that it was personal. It wasn't a promise uh, that was solely to the masses, but it was to every person. Uh, it's a personal. He is a personal Savior. He is not one. Uh, though he did die for everyone, he died for me and he died for you. Uh, he was one who uh, cloaked himself in became our sin that God might satisfy his justice and fulfill the atonement of mankind. We saw last week the birth of hope. God had promised this this, and then delivered it. Uh, we see as the delivery at the birth of hope. We saw a birth that was uh, a birth that was impoverished. It was a birth of poverty. He came very humbly. Uh, he came not in uh, with the great fanfare. He came not with a royal reception. He came uh, not with grand announcements. He was he came simply in a manger. And until the angels proclaimed uh, what what had happened, uh, the world would not know. And so we saw that when Jesus came, he uh, he came in poverty. He came humbly uh, into this life. And then uh, it was proclaimed by the angels. But not only was it proclaimed by the angels, uh, it was a life and a birth that was of poverty, but yet with purpose. He came to fulfill the purpose of reconciling man to God. Then it was proclaimed by not only the angels, but the shepherds. The shepherds could not hold, the shepherds could not contain uh, what they had experienced, what they had witnessed, what God had done in the works that he had made. Uh, then we see throughout history, it's been proclaimed by believers. That's our responsibility uh, as a believer in Christ, as a, uh, the body of believers here in a church that we would proclaim the message of hope uh, that Jesus has brought to us and has made uh, possible. And so today we examine how that Jesus and that in Jesus, the hope that God promised and then delivered impacts our lives. You know, there are a lot of things that come in through our lives. There are a lot of things that we experience. There are many things that, uh, that influence us in one way or another, but there are really very few things that greatly impact us. Uh, there may be a, a, a very few moments in your life that you would look back, and that's certainly my experience. Uh, there are a lot of things that I could look at and say, you know, this influenced me in this direction, or this influenced me uh, to, to think this way or to uh, believe this. But there are very, very few moments where I could say that impacted me. 
Sometimes that impact was negative. Sometimes that impact was positive. Sometimes that impact uh, was an unexpected statement that caught me off guard and then uh, forever framed the way that I felt about an issue or myself or uh, or something that I had to deal with. Uh, at other times, it was something that was more profound. It was something that was a long time in developing, but in the moment of, uh, of decision and the moment of it coming to fulfillment, life was impacted. And I believe that is the case uh, in our lives today. And that's the purpose of the gospel. That's what Jesus wants to do in my life and yours. Listen, it's a wonderful thing that God told us about what he was going to do when he was sending Jesus to the earth and then ultimately to the cross and when he was resurrected. It's a wonderful thing that that hope has been delivered, but it's a powerful thing when that hope impacts me. Now, that hope impacts people in different ways. Some people, the impact of that hope is uh, the hardening of their heart and the rejecting of what God has done for them. And other, others of us, it has been that God has softened the heart and that God uh, has caused us to place our faith and trust in Jesus and then to follow him at varying degrees. Uh, there are a lot of folks that, uh, that, that trust in Jesus as their Savior and never really grow much beyond that point. My friends, this morning, that is not supposed to be the end of your relationship and experience with Jesus. It should be merely the beginning. It should be the beginning of a lifelong journey in which Jesus is molding and shaping my, uh, my, us into his image. And we are to be living lives that are impacted by the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, throughout the time that God has us here on this earth. And we are to allow God to work in our lives to impact others through us. And so we see that many things in our lives uh, will impact us, but, uh, but few of those things uh, will impact us and will impact the human spirit in the way that hope does. Hope impacts us in immeasurable ways. Hope has seen people rise from uh, certain doom and failure. Hope has gotten many people uh, through the darkest periods of history. Uh, I love this statement that was found written on the wall of a concentration camp. Uh, I believe at Oshawa in, uh, in, in World War II as the camps were liberated. Uh, and these words where many lives were taken uh, were written on the wall there. Uh, I believe in the sun even when it is not shining. Uh, I believe in love, even when I feel it not. I believe in God, even when he is silent. My friends, what we have in Christ is hope. What we have is in no matter what we face and no matter what life throws our way, no matter what we're experiencing uh, in this time, uh, we are not without hope. We are not Hopeless. Oh, a situation, a circumstance, a disease uh, may come to a point where it manifests itself in such a way in our lives that that issue becomes hopeless. And we know that uh, the end of life perhaps is near or uh, or maybe something's not going to turn out just the way that we want it to. But the reality is, is that what we're living for is not just the temporal things of this earth, but the, uh, the it, realize that our existence is eternal. If you're here this morning, may I say to you that you and your soul will exist somewhere for eternity. Uh, the human souls, the human soul is an eternal being. It will uh, never cease to exist. Uh, and when we realize that and we realize the impact that the hope that we have in Christ can have upon our lives, 
then it can be a life-changing experience from that moment forward. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also uh, to the Greek. And so we see here and we realize uh, that as we serve him and we love him, when hope impacts our lives, our lives in tune should be impacting the lives of others with hope. Don't be ashamed of what Jesus has done in your life. Don't be ashamed of how he wants to grow us and uh, to guide us. In Titus chapter 2, in verse 13, he tells us that we are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. My friend, this morning we should be looking with anticipation and hope for the coming of our Savior as He came to Bethlehem's manger, so will He come in the eastern sky to receive His own unto Himself before He begins His reign in in the reclamation of the earth. So we talk about hope. What is hope? We've defined it, especially in the first week, but just a a short definition this morning. Hope is a well-founded expectation of good. It's not relying on just some some strange, unfounded thing. It is trusting and relying with a reasonable uh, belief that it will occur. Uh, That is hope. I I saw this uh, about a week or two ago on uh, on a T-shirt about a group that I was doing some research for how how hope impacts different people in different circumstances. And this particular group was... uh, uh, was pushing a t-shirt and they had hope defined on their shirt and the, uh, and it said this, it is the confident expectation of what God has promised. I thought that was a, a good way to just succinctly state uh, what we've already expressed through the preaching here over the last couple of weeks. It is not believing that uh, that the genie is going to pop out of a bottle or some uh, thing is going to be fabricated out of thin air. It is just simply the belief that God will deliver on what he's promised. Trusting in him, believing in his power, believing in his might. Uh, I love Titus chapter number two uh, in verse number one, uh, when it says in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. God promised that hope. God promised to make an impact. God promised that we uh, in this life, though we are born uh, separated from God in sin, we are not without hope because Jesus has made atonement for us. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, it tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting uh, life. God has promised eternal life to those who believe. If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, may I say to you that he's done everything that's necessary for you to have eternal life, for you to know that he is your savior, for you to know that you need not fear uh, what comes when we close our eyes in death in this physical body, uh, because Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has, uh, has reconciled us to God. What must I do, pastor? I must believe. I must believe that God is who he said he is. I must believe that he has done what he said he's done. And I must believe that he will do what he said he will do. It's really that simple. 
Do I believe this morning that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he came to earth uh, by by being born of the Virgin Mary uh, and that he lived a sinless life and that he offered himself a sacrifice on Calvary's cross and when he died on that cross and was placed in a grave that he descended to Sheol, to Hades and he uh, came out leading captivity captive with the keys of death and hell victorious over sin and over death and he re-inhabited that body and he rose from that grave powerfully uh, and permanently uh, to rule and to reign for all of eternity. That's the Jesus that has given himself for you and for me and for me to die in my sin and to be separated from God from eternity will never occur because he hasn't done his part. It will only and it's only possible to occur if I reject the gift that he's made possible to me. He loves you. He's promised eternal life to those who believe. Not only has he promised eternal life, uh, but he didn't, he, he, he's also promised an abundant life. Now, an abundant life doesn't mean a wealthy life. It doesn't mean a, 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 a casual life. It doesn't mean uh, a life that's easy. An abundant life uh, means a life that is fulfilling. It means a life that is making an impact on the lives of others. It is a life that has been impacted by the gospel that is in turn impacting others with the gospel. In John uh, chapter number 10, uh, in verse number 10, he said, The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it uh, more abundantly. In Titus chapter number 3, in Titus again, uh, in verse number 8, he says, This is a faithful saying, uh, and these things uh, that I... I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. God has promised an abundant life. Not only we see that, but God has promised an effective life. See, God wants our life. God wants my life. God wants your life uh, to be a life that knows that it has put its faith and trust in Jesus and that Jesus is working in us. He wants us to realize uh, that our life is abundant. He wants us to realize that our life can be effective for the cause of Christ. Every Christian life should be an effective life. I want you to notice three things about this this morning as we look, and we're going to jump around to several different passages this morning. We looked heavily in week one at this passage in Matthew chapter one, uh, and then we looked in, in Luke chapter two, uh, very specifically at some things there and in an effort to try to bring these things together. I'm going to be a little bit more topical this morning uh, than I normally would be <coughs> on a Sunday morning. Uh, and so we consider in what we see here. In this is the impact of our eternal existence. See, Matthew, in Matthew, he promised uh, that uh, that she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's the promise. That is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And he made that promise good. So how does that impact my life? Well, first it impacts my eternal existence. It all begins or ends there. Until my eternal destiny has been changed, until it's been impacted by the gospel, I'm on a course of destruction and there's nothing in this universe outside of Jesus Christ that can alter that course. Not anything. No amount of good works, no amount of do-gooding, no amount of uh, giving to others. Uh, I must recognize that the, that my position without Christ is a damned position, one in which I am condemned to hell, in which I will spend eternity separated from God in eternal punishment, simply because I was born. 
simply because I was born a descendant of Adam and I have a sinful nature. That is what my father gave me. No matter what you leave for your children, dad, no matter how much money or wealth you amass for them, what you leave for them that is of eternal value is the impact of a stained soul, a broken life, a sinful nature. That's what we give our children. It doesn't matter how good or how bad of a father we were. It doesn't matter how righteous or holy we live now. It doesn't matter what we were when our children were born. What matters is that we inherited from our father who inherited from his father, who inherited from his father, who inherited all the way back to Adam, a nature that is sinful. And because of that, I am born without Christ. David said in Psalm 51, 5, that in sin did my mother conceive me. We were born in sin. We were born without Jesus. Uh, So we see that our position without Christ is a sinful position. It is a position in which uh, we were, to which we were born. Uh, It is a position, secondly, that we are condemned to eternal punishment. We notice Revelation chapter 21 uh, in verse number 8. And uh, and many of us will know this verse. And uh, we use it oftentimes when we share the gospel. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of, in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. I was born physically. I had to be born again spiritually in order for my position to change. Uh, when I die and this body dies and leaves this earth, uh, then I will, uh, I will then face either eternal life or a second death, depending upon my position. And the fact of the matter is, is that every person that's ever been born, with the exception of Jesus Christ, was born with a sin nature. Every person is born condemned. Every person is born uh, in a hopeless state. But Jesus came and he gives us hope and he wants to change our position. And so what is the alternative, Pastor? What, uh, what, uh, what changes when I, uh, when I receive Christ? What is it that uh, is done in my life? And, uh, and what is it that, that he accomplishes? And I want you to understand that the, that the salvation of my soul and your soul and any other person's soul is just as great a miracle as his coming to earth of the Virgin Mary, as his sacrificing himself on Calvary's cross, as his resurrection uh, from the grave. It is the supernatural act of God. It's not an act of man. The only thing that we can do is put our faith in him and acknowledge our need of him and trust him to do then what he said and what he promised he would do. So what is my position without Christ? It is a position in which I am born in sin and that I am condemned to eternal punishment. But Jesus came that we might have hope. In other words, that our position might be changed, that we might get a new last name, that we might get a new address for eternity. Uh, And what is it in our position in Christ? What happens? Well, John, again, chapter number one in verses number 12 and 13 says, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, I must be born of God. In order for that hope, that hope that Jesus has given, that hope that Jesus has paid for and that he offers freely to all who will believe, that hope uh, is the hope that can change my position from a sinner to a saint, 
that can change me from a life that is headed for an eternal destruction in hell uh, to eternal peace in heaven with my Savior, man's position in Christ. We are birthed as God's sons. And when he does that, he doesn't just stop there, but he makes us a new creation in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He did not save me to leave me in my sin. He did not save me to leave me in the condition that I was in. He saved me that he might make everything in me new. A new life, a new spirit, a new creature in Christ. That is uh, a work in progress. That is something that has to be developed over time. Uh, Though the movement of my birth is instantaneous when I place my faith and trust in him, I must invest many years and much time to grow in the grace of God. And to become what God wants me to be. So we see, first of all, this morning that the impact uh, of our eternal existence is an impact that can change our position. That's quite an impact. To change the direction of one's destiny. To change uh, the place in which uh, we are and the path upon which we are on. What does that lead us to? Well, then that leads us to the impact of an enlightened existence. See, he didn't just say, okay, now you've placed your faith and trust in me. You've been born into my uh, family. Now just go off and figure out the rest. No, he enlightens us. So, Pastor, how does he enlighten us? How does he uh, bring us to understand? You have to understand this morning that everything that we believe, we believe because the word of God has told us. If you're here this morning and say, man, I, I really want to believe this, Pastor, but I just am not there yet. May I suggest to you that all you need to do is keep praying and keep being faithful and keep putting the Word of God in your heart. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the more of the Bible that gets into your heart and the more understanding you acquire from it and the more leading of God's Spirit you have in your life, the more that you'll understand and the more faith you'll have. And so we begin this morning by wanting to be enlightened by the word, enlightened by the word in Psalm 119 and uh, Psalm 119. It's no coincidence that the longest chapter in the Bible is dedicated to the word of God. It's dedicated to the truth and the power of the scripture. And we are to be enlightened by the word. Enlightened by the word of God, Psalm 119 and verse uh, 105 uh, says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, In verse 130, he says, The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. Listen, we're all born, and as far as uh, no matter how intelligent or how educated one might be this morning, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were born. That means you're a child in the faith. You're a child in Christ. That means that we are simple. Simple doesn't mean unlearned. I know sometimes it can be used derogatorily uh, to identify or describe someone that is lacking in intelligence. That's not what it means here. Simple just simply means uninstructed. It means untaught. It means immature. It means that it needs time and there needs to be time to develop. Well, how does that happen in our lives? Well, it starts by getting the word of God in our heart. Because when the word of God comes into our heart and into our lives, it enlightens us. How do I know, Pastor? Well, the Bible tells us, first of all, that the scripture is trustworthy. In Psalm 119 and verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. 
He didn't just uh, come up with this as man was going along. You understand uh, that the word that we hold in our laps this morning, the one that I preach from you, was was has existed forever because it is Jesus in print. Before the earth was ever brought into existence, word in heaven forever O Lord thy word is settled in heaven verse 137 says righteous art thou O Lord and upright are his judgments are upright his words uh, are upright verse 140 says thy word is very pure therefore thy servant loveth it now we live in a time uh, where we like to change history or uh, anything that impacts us in a way in which we don't like. But that's shifting sand. And we need not, nor can we put our hope and faith and trust on things of eternal significance in shifting sand. We must put it on the unmovable Word of God. It is true. It will never change. It never has changed. It is this morning uh, worthy to be trusted. It is a uh, trustworthy revelation of who and what uh, God is uh, and always has been and always will be. Not only that, but the Bible is not only is it trustworthy, but it's profitable. Second Timothy chapter number three and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's profitable. It's profitable for all men. It teaches us about who Jesus is, about who we are, about what uh, he wants to do in our lives. And we must understand that the word of God enlightens our life. It enlightens our exposure to God. It reveals uh, our own nature and I can trust it. And if I will trust it, it will become profitable to me and it will turn me into someone who becomes profitable for the gospel. That's what God wants to do in our heart. The impact of an enlightened existence begins when I'm enlightened by the Word of God, but it's expounded and expanded when I'm enlightened by the Holy Spirit. See, God didn't just say, okay, here's my uh, book, uh, just go and figure it out. No, He gave us His indwelling Holy Spirit uh, to lead us and to guide us. In Ephesians chapter uh, number 1 and beginning in verse uh, number 11, the Bible says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, uh, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What is it that we have in the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit? Well, first we understand that he is the seal of that hope of that promise that Jesus gave. He seals it. God didn't just say, here's, uh, here's the order and here's the sacrifice and here's what's going to happen to you. Once it was completed, he sealed it. He put his mark on it. And it cannot be broken. 
He is the seal of our salvation. He is the earnest of our salvation. Understand this morning that the moment that my heart stops and my life on this earth ends, I am being brought into the presence of my God. That is the moment that my salvation uh, is uh, is redeemed. That is the moment that I am redeeming the promise that Jesus has given of eternal life. It's the moment that I leave this earth and come into the presence of God. And he is the earnest of that salvation. It's like purchasing a home. You have to put down that earnest money to hold the contract. And what God has done is he said, I have a contract with you. I have given my son to pay your debt. And if you will accept him, then I will give you eternal life. But that eternal life in that sense does not actually begin until we come into his presence. We're still living here in the meantime. We're still impacting here in the meantime. We're still being impacted by here in the meantime. And what are we given in the meantime that we might have that hope, that we might be looking for that blessed hope? What is he talking about? He's saying, listen, uh, you put your faith in me. I will seal the deal. And he sealed it with the Holy Spirit of God. And I've given him as an earnest and he is dwelling within you. He lives within us this morning. Consider first Corinthians uh, chapter number three, uh, first Corinthians. <coughs> excuse me, just a minute. Chapter number three uh, in verse number 16. And what the Bible tells us there is this first Corinthians chapter three, uh, verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Listen, he is dwelling within us. He is working within us. He is the one who will lead and who will guide. In 2 Timothy chapter number 1, uh, in verse number 14, he states it this way, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. He indwells us. He lives right here in our heart. We sing about that sometimes. We uh, experience that at times. That voice that you sometimes hear or, or that nudge that you sometimes feel uh, whenever the word of God is preached or when you're uh, when you're reading your Bible at home or when you're spending time in prayer. Uh, that's not just some subconscious feeling. That is the spirit of God confirming in your heart what the word of God is telling you. What the proclaimed word of God is impressing upon your heart. That nudge, that confirmation, that, that voice telling you this is true and this is right. And if you'll accept him, that all of that, that is not uh, just a, a wonder, uh, 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 just some unexplained phenomenon. That is the Holy Spirit of God doing the work that God left him here to do. To convict us of our sin and to convince us of the truth of his word. That's what he does. And he does it inside of us. So we see this morning that we've been impacted by an enlightened existence when we trust in Jesus. And we are enlightened by the word of God and we are enlightened by the spirit of God. And then we see that we are enlightened by the spirit by spirit filled believers. We are enlightened by spirit filled believers. That's why. God has brought us to this place. That's why God has established the local New Testament church that we might come together and that we might sharpen one another and that we might pray for one another and that we might encourage one another and that we might at times rebuke and exhort one another uh, that we might uh, that we might represent the Savior and that we might further the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19 and following it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints 
and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the spirit, through the spirit. We come together and the spirit moves and the spirit guides and the spirit leads. But listen, we must come together in the word of God. We must come together impacted by the Holy Spirit of God. And we must come together impacting one another for the, by the grace of God. Allowing God to use us to encourage one another, to lift one another up, to be in prayer for one another, to engage in aiding one another in our personal growth in the Lord Jesus. Hope. Hope that has impacted our existence by having us and giving us the capacity to change our position either out of Christ or in Christ. The impact of an enlightened existence, one that's led by the word of God and is, is guided by the spirit of God and is uh, encouraged by the people. Of God. Then thirdly, we see the impact of an engaging existence, an engaging existence. See, the Christian life is not supposed to be a passive life. For the Christian, just going through life is not supposed to be something that we just kind of casually do and never change or never bump into, never impact or never encourage or uh, anything, another soul. We are to be engaging everywhere that we go and we're to be engaging in our personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not to uh, leave it alone. We're not to uh, just uh, to just uh, wander aimlessly about and, uh, and hope that everything uh, comes out okay. No, we're to be engaged in the process. First Peter chapter number two in verse number two, he says this as newborn babes desire the sincere, sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. My friend this morning, how much desire for Jesus do you have? How much desire for his word do we have? How much desire to know the spirit of God that dwells in us is engaged in a relationship with us? See, we come and a lot of us intellectually, we know that these things are. But are we engaged in the process? Can we really say that we've uh, know what it's like to have a personal relationship with Jesus, with the Spirit of God, and with our Father? Is it simply uh, just something that we pay lip service to with our lives? See, I am to be engaged this morning in personal growth. It's my responsibility to grow. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word. We have a newborn in our family, about six weeks old or seven and you don't have to tell him anything about being hungry. And you don't have to wonder if he is hungry. He'll let you know. He don't understand it. All he understands is something's not right and this is going to satisfy my problem. And so whenever the time comes, there is a desire. And the problem in most Christians in our lives today is that we simply are so full of the world that we have no desire for God. We're so full of the things of, and satisfying our flesh that we have no room left for, for God. We equate that with our children. How many times do we tell our children when they were growing up in our homes, uh, don't eat that, it'll spoil your dinner. But yet we spoil our dinner before we come to the Word of God. We, we, we satisfy the desire that we have on unholy things when it wasn't given to us to search and to seek and to have a desire for God. Do we desire Him? See, desire impacts life. 
Uh, I think it's Proverbs 18, one says, through desire, a man. Everything that we accomplish, everything that we do, we do because we desire it. What do you desire this morning? Whom do you desire this morning? See, it's my responsibility to and be engaged in personal growth. It's not the pastor's responsibility to force you to have a to, to want to grow. Your personal growth in Jesus Christ is completely independent from what takes place in this pulpit. This can assist you. This can help you. This can encourage you. This at times will rebuke you. But it's not my responsibility to say to beat you over the head and say, okay, it's time to grow. It's our responsibility as an individual. Do I desire him? I promise you this, that which we have a desire for, we find a way. We find a way. If I want it bad enough, I find a way. I'll work extra. I'll take another job. I'll take out a loan. I'll do whatever's necessary to acquire that which I have a desire for. Why do we have so little desire for God and the things of God? Jesus has done so much for us. Jesus has paid the price. And am I engaging Jesus in my existence? Am I engaging in personal growth? Not only do I need to be in the impact of the gospel causing my existence to be an existence that is engaging personal growth, but my existence should also be engaged in the development of others. See, my responsibility as a Christian is the same as yours. To grow and then to engage in helping others to grow. I'm not to just stay on the sideline. I'm not to be satisfied uh, with what God has done for me. My life and your life and the life of every Christian, no matter what church they're a part of, should be about engaging in others and helping them grow in the grace of God. So we are to be engaging this morning. So, Pastor, that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Good. Makes me uncomfortable too sometimes. But it's our responsibility. Sometimes we have to just be confronted with the Word of God so that we understand and can then embrace our responsibility. Romans chapter 14 and verse 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify one another. We are to be edifying one another. We are to be investing in one another. We are to befriend one another. We are to aid and assist one another. We are to teach and uh, study the word of God with one another. And as we go through this process of life uh, and God engages with us in that process and the spirit leads us, he will lead us to those who need what he's done in our life. <coughs> Excuse me. So that we can do it in his. <clears throat> First Thessalonians chapter five. And verse number 11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as ye also do. We're to comfort. We're to edify. We're to do all. And we like the comfort part of that. We like that. <laughs> we, uh, and we're all about, hey, i got a problem. Would you pray for me? We're all about, hey, uh, I've, made, you know, my, my, I've got a loved one that passed away. Would you come and encourage me? We're all about that part of edification. We just don't like the other part of edification. We don't like it whenever 
when it causes correction. We don't like it whenever it causes us to uh, look introspectively into our own heart and realize that, hey, there's an area of my life in which I need to be growing more. We need to be engaged in personal growth. We must be engaged in developing the lives of others. And then as we close this out in this third point here, we must be engaged in things that are of eternal value. See, what is it that we're engaged in? Everyone here is engaged in something. Everyone here is invested in something. Everyone here uh, is spending their energy and their time and their uh, their effort uh, on something. Are we spending all of our existence on things that will pass away, or are we spending them on things that are of eternal value? Oh, Pastor, I've got to invest in my family. Your family's got great eternal value. Your family will last for eternity, either in heaven or hell. How are you impacting their, their position? That car that we drive, the homes in which we live, the, uh, the jobs, all that's going to pass away. Uh, but what if eternal value am I investing in? So, Pastor, but I have to work and I have to have a home and I have to. I understand that. But the, the reality is, is what's the motivation behind why we do what we do? Is our motivation that we might live in comfort or is our motivation that we might impact eternity? We should do everything that we do for the impact of eternity. Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 through 20. He says this. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. We should with single vision be focused on Jesus Christ. Of things of eternal value. Verse number 33 in the same uh, chapter of Matthew chapter 6 says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? The things that God has promised. The things that God said he'll empower us to do. So we look this morning at the season of Christmas and we look at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, what all it means to us. We have looked and we've seen that, hey, uh, he gave us this promise of hope, this promise that a Savior would come, this promise that we could have an abundant life, this promise that we could have eternal life, this promise that our lives could matter. Uh, And then he delivered on that promise whenever Jesus was born. And we saw that he was born in humility in that manger. He did not have to have great fanfare. He simply came that he might fulfill the purpose for which he was born. Uh, And then the angels could not contain themselves. They had to proclaim what they knew. And the shepherds could not hide to keep to themselves what God had done in their hearts and what they had seen at that manger. And they went out and proclaimed. And so it should be in our lives that we should be so overwhelmed with what God has done in our life and the hope that he has given us that we cannot contain it. We cannot keep it to ourselves. We must go forth proclaiming what God has done. Sometimes that means proclaiming claiming it uh, to those that are uh, that are lost, that are uh, out in the community. Sometimes it may be proclaiming it to a neighbor or a family member. Sometimes it's proclaiming it uh, to a brother or sister in Christ, that they might be lifted up, that they might be edified, that they might be encouraged in the way. Listen, and when that happens, it impacts our lives. It impacts us in profound ways. It impacts our personal growth. It impacts how our personal growth then helps us assist others in their personal growth. And it impacts us by shifting our focus and our purpose for life on things that are of eternal value and rather than things that are temporal and will pass away. What's our life about? Who are we here to glorify? Who are we here to serve? Who are we here to satisfy? 
the answer to any of those questions is anybody other than Jesus, we're wasting our life. Amen. We're wasting the gift that He gave us. We are not we are not engaging in everything that He's provided. Say, Pastor, I know that I'm on my way to heaven and that's enough for me. That may be enough for you, but that's not enough for him. That's not all he promised. That's not going to satisfy him. What does he want? He wants it all. He gave it all. He wants it all. He gave himself on Calvary's cross a sacrifice to pay our sin. He wants our bodies a living sacrifice that our lives might share the message of what God's done for him. That's the life. That's the real message of Christmas. The hope of Jesus was promised. The hope of Jesus was delivered. The hope delivered changes lives. Question this morning as we close. What have you done with that hope? And what have you allowed that hope to do with you? Think about that for a moment. God's given to me this great hope. What have I done with it? Have I put my faith and trust in Jesus? That's a great start. And if you haven't done that this morning, I hope that today you will just surrender to that moving of the Spirit of God in your heart and you will say, I believe and I put my faith and trust in you. Let hope change your destination. Let hope change your position from a sinner without Christ to a saint, a son of God born in Christ. Would you let that hope enlighten you? Would you let that hope engage in your life? What have you allowed that hope to do with you? He wants to engage with you. He wants to change you. He wants to grow you. And he wants to use your life to impact the lives of the world around you. That all the world might know that there's no need for their suffering and their pain. Because there's a Savior that's paid it all. Do you hope this morning? Do you trust and do you believe in the hope that Jesus has given? If so, I hope that you'll let it impact your life.